There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Food Insight podcast with me, Kimberly Wilson, chartered psychologist and the first of what I hope will become a more regular format of Q&A podcasts. This one follows a podcast on the self for self and people pleasing. I received so many comments and questions after that episode went out that I thought it'd be really helpful to do a separate episode where I could answer your questions and go into more depth on some aspects of the theory. So thank you to everyone who submitted your questions, and if you haven't listened to that previous episode, I do recommend listening to it, as I do refer back to it in this one. The first thing to say is that there was almost an even split between people who wanted advice on how to deal with their own people-pleasing tendencies, as there were people asking about how to deal with the people-pleasers that they know. And I think this really illustrates how, despite the name, people-pleasing can actually be a problematic pattern of behaviour and relating for everyone involved. So let's dive into your questions. The first question is, how does people-pleasing differ from socially constructive acts like accommodating needs? And I touched on this in the first episode, and it is true that to some extent we all have social selves that we adopt or slip into simply to function in society. So whether that takes the form of politeness or common manners or something like that, there's a way in which we all maybe soften our own edges a little bit and maybe, you know, conform to a dress code when we go to an event or, or something like that as part of a social contract. And we might still add our own personality to it, but there is this element of conformity. How this differs from people-pleasing is really in the extent and the necessity, how much the person relies on it day to day. So accommodating certain rules, like a dress code for an event or a job role, might be necessary in the moment, but it doesn't usually extend to the whole of our personalities. And this conformity doesn't affect every aspect of our lives. So people who are people pleasers or who are enclosed more intensely in a full self will feel a pressure to conform in all aspects of their lives, to like the things that their friends like or to enter careers that their parents would approve of or to choose hobbies that they think will attract a partner or make them likeable in some way. If you watch the movie Gone Girl, it's Amy's cool girl monologue where she says, Nick loved the girl I was pretending to be. It's, it's that kind of thing. People-pleasing becomes an all-encompassing and at its most extreme, people can lose sight of who they really are and what they really want, 
or feel that others would be confused or rejecting of their real selves and their real needs. So in this way, people can end up feeling trapped in the persona that they've relied on to navigate the world and their relationships. The next two questions both asked about the link between alcoholism and people-pleasing, so I'll look at that one specifically. So the questions were, is this more common if you have a dysfunctional family, e.g. alcoholic parents? And then the second one was, my mum and husband both had alcoholic dads, they're both people-pleasers, is this a pattern? So these were really good observations. In the first episode, I described how the false self develops in childhood as a survival strategy. So the child is living in an environment that is in some way challenging, and we can see how having alcoholic parents would create those conditions. For example, if a parent becomes volatile when they're drunk, this creates a home environment that is unpredictable. And sometimes if the child doesn't understand the alcoholism, then they could be confused as to why the parent changes so quickly or becomes so frightening. They may adapt to this volatility by trying to be appeasing, by trying to do whatever they can to make that parent happy. They may try to always be smiling or well-behaved or quiet. And you can imagine how difficult that is for most adults. So it can be an impossible situation for a child. But because children are completely dependent on their parents, this is a matter of emotional, if not physical, survival. Alternatively, we know that alcohol is a depressant, and many people with alcoholism can feel very depressed, helpless, or filled with self-loathing when they're drunk. And again, the child or children, recognising the extent of the parents' needs, may be compelled to put their own needs aside in order to look after the parent. It's as if they make a kind of contract and they say, well, I'll look after you so that you can look after me. And this, as you can imagine, is a very frightening and precarious position for the child. And as well as the full self, it can create a sense in which the world is just not a very safe place. As adults, people who have had this kind of experience can feel as if they're just waiting for something to go wrong. They're unable to relax and just enjoy it when things are going well. And they might appear pessimistic in the way that they're constantly waiting to hear what the catch is. In some cases, this can lead to self-sabotage. Essentially, they feel so anxious waiting for what they think is the inevitable bad thing to happen that they unconsciously find a way to bring it about to ease that anxiety. I'll be doing a separate podcast on the psychodynamics of self-sabotage where I'll talk more about some of the reasons that we get into our own way. There are other ways that alcoholism can create the conditions for the development of the full self. It might, for example, put a financial burden on the family. It could lead to job loss. Um, It can put pressure on parental relationships so that now the child or children have two stressed parents, leaving the child in the position of having to care for them and themselves and maybe their siblings. It can create what I call a precocious adulthood, where the child has to take on responsibilities that they're not psychologically ready for and other parts of their own emotional and psychological development are put on hold. Having parents who are not like other people's parents can contribute to the development of the full self in other ways. For example, the child may feel a deep sense of shame about themselves and feel that it would be better if they tried to be different in order to feel more normal. Very young or emotionally young children can interpret their parents' behaviour as having something to do with them, as if it's something that they've done that contributes to their parents' troubles. 
And in fact, in some very sad circumstances, parents do tell their children that they would be happier or better off if they'd not been born. This is a devastating thing to hear and can leave the child feeling as if they have to compensate for their very existence. So they may try to turn themselves into the model child in an attempt to win the parents over. And of course, in this situation, being yourself feels incredibly risky because you've already been given the message that there is something about you that is fundamentally problematic. So feeling like you were a mistake or unwanted in some way can have truly devastating effects on the child's sense of self that can really extend decades into adulthood. That touches on the next two questions. First one being how people pleasing is linked to the fear of ostracism from society and is this something I have learned or is it a part of my makeup or personality? So with the first one, yes, absolutely. People pleasing to the extent that I'm talking about is a survival strategy designed to minimise the real or perceived risk of being rejected. Initially, this rejection is in the context of the parents or family relationships, because sometimes it's grandparents or close family friends who can have a similar impact. And it's really about the significance of the relationship to the child. Unless this is resolved, it simply transforms into a general relationship strategy and it becomes the way that we relate to all other people. I think it's really important to say here that in adolescence and adulthood, this might not be a totally internal or psychological experience. It's not uncommon for people to replicate their initial relationships many times over in their friendships or their romantic relationships, so that you end up perhaps with very critical friends or critical partners who exert a kind of pressure on you to continue conforming to their expectations or needs and to put your own aside. And if this is something you have experienced for a long time, it may be difficult to understand or believe that this isn't the way good relationships are and that not all love is conditional. And I want to make that point because sometimes one person can end up as the Cinderella character in their family or friendship group. Basically, they're the one that's crapped on. They are the problem child or the selfish one or the weird one, the odd one out somehow. What is actually happening in many, many cases is that this individual is in a psychological sense holding all the crap that everyone else feels about themselves, but they behave as if it's the Cinderella child that's the problem and it stops them from having to face themselves or their own behaviour. But, of course, this might not be obvious from the inside, and the Cinderella child or friend or colleague might just end up believing that they are, in fact, the problem, and the only way to avoid being pushed out of the group is to do everything that they can to conform or to satisfy the needs and expectations of the group. And that's where someone might conclude that maybe the problem really is them, you know, that there is something wrong with them and it's just part of their personality. And this touches on another question. Is people pleasing coming from me or based on the toxic, manipulative people around me? I think obviously this is a very telling question and this person is really asking questions about how safe they are with the people around them. And I think if you're asking those questions, it's probably really worth thinking about and maybe finding someone to talk to about that. I think it's an important question because 
whilst most of the time these false self or people-pleasing experiences have their roots in childhood, I have certainly seen circumstances where these tendencies have been prompted and reinforced by having critical, demanding or hostile peer or friendship groups, where the membership of the group or the acceptance by the group is conditional on behaving in a certain way and where people who you think are your friends will criticise you for thinking outside of the agreed remit or having your own ideas or having your own separate group of friends or dressing in a strange way, any of these things. And it really can be a reinforcing of the false self or people pleasing. And again, there has to be a lot of nuance in this discussion because there are character or personality traits that can look like people pleasing. So for example, women typically score higher on scales of agreeableness. Now that might have a sociological basis in that women are, I think, definitely conditioned to be more compliant and obedient. There is also an evolutionary case that females are more agreeable because child rearing is incredibly demanding and it requires an enormous amount of patience, understanding and perhaps agreeableness to not become dangerously frustrated with the needs of babies and young children. However, as I mentioned above, it's very, very much about the extent and context and whether that person is able to even identify what their own genuine needs are and to feel justified in asking or expecting that their reasonable needs should be met by the people closest to them. There was another question about whether people-pleasing includes frequently asking or worrying that someone is mad at you when they're not. To me, this sounds more like a more common self-esteem issue, but it might have some of the same roots, such as having a very angry or demanding parent, or a parent who became angry and abusive when they were drunk. It can stem, for some people, from growing up feeling as though they were unwanted or unwelcome or a burden in some way, and this needn't have been the result of an explicit rejection. So, for example, growing up in a situation where money was tight, I've known some children think to themselves, my mum or my dad or my family would be better off if I wasn't around, and they think that even if they are deeply loved and wanted. And sometimes it can be completely unavoidable circumstances, like a parent developing postnatal depression, or there being a bereavement close to the birth of the child, which means that there was an extra pressure on the household while the child was young. But whatever the circumstances, internalising that sense of being a burden can mean that the person anticipates that their needs, or even their very presence, is too much for other people, or that they are a bother or a burden. In these situations, reassurance is actually very short-lived, and no matter how much reassurance they receive, nothing can really shift that feeling. And that's commonly what can lead to someone seeking repeated reassurance that someone is not unhappy or angry with them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, so there were then a lot of questions about how to stop or asking for strategies of how to change, how to manage the anxiety of not being able to please everyone, how to worry less about what other people are thinking about you. I found these questions really moving. So again, thank you so much for sending them in. I can't obviously give specific advice without meeting or assessing someone. So what I'll say will necessarily be a little bit general, but I will do my best to answer your questions as thoroughly as possible. I think the first thing is to give yourself credit for recognising what's going on. Awareness is the first step to change and even getting this far can mean facing some really difficult realisations about yourself and the way you relate to others. So please, please do give yourself credit for that. If the main problem is that you find yourself automatically saying yes to things, and this can happen to a lot of people, the author Greg McEwen has two very good chapters on practical strategies of how to manage this in his book, which is called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And you can actually listen to those chapters on Tim Ferriss's podcast. So just Google Tim Ferriss, Graceful No. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and I'll also add it to my Instagram stories when this episode goes out. So those are some strategies for the more kind of low level people pleasing. But at its worst, the full self is more than just over committing. As I said, it's a survival mechanism that arises from an intense and internal fear of rejection from those closest to us. And to my mind, it's really that fear that has to be tackled. And there are a few ways that you could do this. So you could tackle this by challenging the thoughts and thinking behaviours. For example, by asking yourself whether it's true that the person will be very angry with you if you don't give them what they want. This is a kind of cognitive behavioural approach and it can be very helpful. However, what I see in my practice is that often people understand intellectually what's happening, but they still can't seem to change their behaviour long term. I personally believe that there are often very complex emotions that lie at the root of these beliefs and that it's important to look at these because it is in fact the emotions and not the thoughts that the people are responding to. In terms of a therapeutic approach, that would be more a psychodynamic or integrated approach. If you want to get the process started for yourself, you can do so by asking yourself a few questions. 
So do grab yourself a journal and I'm always a big advocate of handwriting because writing by hand is a form of emotional processing. And, and a good question to start with is how long have I been like this? And this will begin to illuminate whether this is, for example, a response to a friendship group or whether it's been going on for much longer than that. Another useful question is what happens if I do try to be honest about what I'm feeling? or what used to happen. Again, this will start to shed some light on what the conditions were like. Would your feelings be dismissed or ridiculed? Would you be told that the idea was stupid? Did you not dare risk speaking up because things were tough enough for your parents already? Another self-reflective question is, what are the costs of staying like this? And it's really important to use this question carefully. It's not about having a go at yourself for not behaving differently or being better. But used properly, it can really help you to get clear on what you miss out on by satisfying all of the needs of other people at the expense of your own. The costs often include the opportunity to be truly content or the security that comes from knowing that you are loved for who you really are and not who you portray yourself to be. And whilst these questions are really useful to to get the thinking started, I would really recommend that you work through these issues with a professional. And that's because things can become very complicated. For example, if you had a parent or a significant relationship who was strongly narcissistic, in which case they may well have demanded compliance from you and valued you only when you made them feel good about themselves. And coming to terms with the idea that our parents may only have loved us conditionally, can be extraordinarily difficult. So those are some initial thoughts. And at the very least, please tell yourself that you exist for more than just making other people happy and that your needs are valid and important. Okay, next question. Is this a larger phenomenon in women than in men? Now, I couldn't find any evidence of prevalence, but I do have a couple of thoughts on this question. First of all, the early conditions that I describe are not gender specific. So in that sense, there's no reason why it would occur more in one gender than another. And while I do think that there is a greater demand and expectation of compliance on girls and young women, in the sense that rebellious behaviour is more tolerated in males and females, It isn't true that boys and men are not expected to comply with certain social standards. So it might be that people pleasing just manifests differently across the genders. So in the same way that people pleasing might look like being the cool girl or the good girl in females, a people pleasing male might attempt to portray certain traditional male qualities or characteristics that might not feel completely true to who they are. And of course, stories about boys whose fathers and sometimes mothers are dismissive of their sons, quiet or sensitive natures are not at all uncommon. Does birth order have any relationship to people-pleasing tendencies? And I would really love to know what prompted this question. Again, there isn't a huge amount of research on this, but I do have some thoughts based on my clinical experience. I think it is possible that firstborns might be overrepresented in this group. Statistically, firstborn children do tend to be higher achievers than their siblings. And this might in part be because they benefit from being the sole focus of their parents' resources, whether that's time, money, energy, or anything else. But it might also reflect 
that parents tend to have very high hopes and expectations for their firstborns and that these hopes and expectations might not be realistic or take into account that children are born with their own innate constitutions. And I think it's plausible that this might put firstborn children at greater risk of the need for compliance and people-pleasing. On that note, only children may also find that they're up against more intense expectations than a child who has siblings with whom they can share the burden of their parental hopes. And whilst it is a difficult thing to acknowledge, the reality is that many of us are born to unwilling or unprepared parents. And this might, for example, put children who are born many years after their siblings in this same at-risk group for people-pleasing. And that is to say that perhaps the parents were hoping that they would get their lives back or be able to return to work once the other children were a little bit older, only to find that they had to start all over again. So it might not be so much the order of birth, but the timing of birth. And of course, that's not to say that everyone who was born a long time after their siblings was an unwanted child. But I think often in these discussions, it's very difficult to admit that sometimes circumstances aren't ideal and sometimes parents aren't prepared and sometimes people don't have very good parents. And I think it's important for us to be able to have those conversations or at least to state those things plainly so that they can be thought about, so that they can be talked about and so that the children don't have to carry that shame. So whatever the circumstances, parental indifference can contribute to an environment where the child senses that they have to work hard to earn their place in their parents' affections. How does people-pleasing manifest in the workplace and what are the consequences? I think mostly that this tendency will manifest as overcommitment. So the person in the office who always says yes to a request, even when they're already up to their eyeballs, the person who volunteers for the tasks that nobody else wants to do, the person who stays late, mostly so they can finish all the extra jobs that they've been saddled with. And they give off this sense that they're terrified of saying no or of disappointing someone. The consequences, it seems to me, are mostly that overcommitment leads to a drop-off in the quality of the work or just to the burnout in the person. And obviously those things will overlap. They might, of course, miss out on more relevant opportunities for them. And ironically, this need to please can begin to look like desperation and colleagues may begin to respect them less because it appears that they don't respect themselves enough to have boundaries and to be able to say no. I think they also end up exposed to the possibility of being taken advantage of by colleagues who know that they've found someone who won't say no, no matter how unreasonable the request is. All right, so there were then quite a few questions about how to intervene when you recognise people pleasing in others. What's the best approach? Uh, One question which said, what if you know that someone isn't enjoying the same thing as you, but when you ask, they agree to it? How to stop others, for example, family elders from imposing their people pleasing on you? And the first thing I want to highlight here is the discomfort that's being expressed in these questions. I think it really makes the point that if it's someone who truly cares about you, it's really uncomfortable for them to see you compromise yourself in this way even if 
on the surface, they seem to be the ones benefiting from your people pleasing. You know, sometimes there's nothing more frustrating than having someone bounce a question back at you. You know, like, what are you going to have? Oh, I don't know. What are you going to have? Do you want to watch this? Oh, if you want to. Are you cold? I don't know. Are you? And that's because, as I think I mentioned in the last episode, healthy relationships are about give and take. And the other person wants there to be an equal balance. If they are constantly put in the position of taking or receiving or of perpetual gratitude, it can begin to feel either like there's no real person there for them to connect with or that they're being manipulated into thanking or praising someone. Alternatively, and this can sometimes happen, the person on the receiving end of the people pleasing can end up feeling unfairly like a bully or a villain because it's as if the people pleaser is scared of them. And you can see that none of these situations is very pleasant or comfortable. And actually, it can be really difficult to break through someone's people-pleasing, especially if at the heart of it, they have an anxiety that they will be abandoned or rejected if they express their true needs. Remember that this may well be a deeply ingrained survival strategy, and they might have an internal expectation that that bad thing is always just on the horizon. And they have to do all of this people-pleasing in order to stop that bad thing from happening. If possible, try to kindly explain how uncomfortable it is to always be the one making the decisions or being waited on or however their people-pleasing manifests. You might want to say that you would feel better if you were able to do more things for yourself. You might say that when the other person always agrees with you, it makes you wonder whether that's how they really feel. At the same time, reminding them that you are genuinely interested in what they really think or feel. You could say that you can tell when they're not really having a good time and that their enjoyment is really important to you because you care about them. Often, people who habitually people please don't realise the negative effect that their behaviour has on others or that it makes other people feel uncomfortable when they always put themselves last. And if in the past others have taken advantage of it, then it might come as a surprise to them to hear that you don't like it. This might take some time, but hopefully with enough opportunities to be themselves with no negative consequences, they might loosen their grip on the need to please. And the final question. Making people happy makes me happy is that bad? I'm not sure whether this person means is it bad for them or is it bad for other people or whether they mean that they can't see the problem with it. But I think we've seen from some of the previous questions that people pleasing isn't just a straightforward case of making other people happy. At times it can feel intrusive as if the other person isn't allowed to do anything for themselves And that can feel like their freedom and autonomy is being taken away from them. In other situations, they can end up feeling manipulated or as if they are unintentionally taking advantage of the people pleaser. For the people pleaser themselves, the risk is that they lose the opportunity to truly express the fullness of their characters, including the bits that might be weird or annoying or difficult and which we all have. And as such, they may miss out on the experience of being loved 
and knowing that they're loved and valued for the fullness of who they are and not just how they portray themselves to be. Okay, so I am out of questions. As ever, this stuff is complicated and everyone is different, so there aren't any easy answers, but I hope that I've been able to shed a little bit of light on this experience. Thank you again to everyone who sent in their questions. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the others and tell your friends and share it around. I'd be really grateful for you to spread the word on this. I'll be back soon with some more interviews and that long promised episode on self-sabotage. It's coming, I promise. And that just leaves me to thank you very much for listening. And until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.